I like technology, but I'm becoming less uh, enchanted with it as the days go on. I like to write on paper now more than I used to ever. In fact, I really like it, even though my handwriting's terrible and I can't read what I wrote. It's, it's a nice feeling to write. But I remember uh, when I finally moved into the world of, of smartphones and, and finally got one, it took me a while because I'm cheap, right? And so I didn't want to pay for such a thing. But it was about that time where I was like, all right, maybe the benefits will outweigh the cost on this one. So I decided to go for it. I had a good deal coming my way, right, from the people at the phone company. Went into the store and went to get the cheapest Android model at the time they had. Uh, and uh, as I was talking to the guy in the store, he, of course, moved after we got everything set up. He moved to that moment where they talk about the extended warranty. And uh, so it, it was not just that this time. He's, he was talking about the extended warranty. How are you going to protect it when you drop it? And I said, I don't. I don't drop things. I just don't. And I never have, honestly. In, uh, in all my years of having phones, I just don't drop them. I said, I don't need that thing. That's a waste of money. He said, but this one's special, right? Because this also guarantees that when you trade in in a year or two, you're guaranteed to get money back for the phone. And so you're going to want this. Or I guess when you're done with the phone, you could donate it. And it bothered me so much when he said it and said it that way. Because you could tell that was his attitude. It wasn't just a sales pitch anymore. And he said it multiple times. You could just, I guess, donate it. So, so annoyed. I was really annoyed because here, this attitude was there, and I'll try and extend grace, but this attitude was there that if I was going to do something that wouldn't benefit me in the transaction, it was not worth my time to do, to donate it. I donate all kinds of things. I like donating things. Of course, I wanted to do it just in spite of the conversation by that point. I want to buy it now and donate it now. <laughs> it bothered me. But sometimes that's our attitude when it comes to our stuff. You could donate it, I guess, but I'm not going to get anything from the transaction other than feels. It'll feel good to do it. We're talking about generosity, and we're still talking about generosity. Uh, and, and we're talking really about transformation that needs to come in us through Jesus Christ in this particular area of our life. That when we put ourselves all in under the king, under Jesus, and say, Jesus is Lord, that everything in our lives must be transformed from inside out. That our attitudes need to be changed, but so too needs to be our, our generosity, our giving, our attitude towards those things that don't simply benefit us, but would benefit others, with nothing coming back to us. We have a generous God. And we need to be thankful for that. We don't even recognize the full extent of God's generosity to us. But we need to be transformed by that generosity to model that very same generosity in the world that we live in as servants of the king. For those that were in small groups or are in small groups, last week's questions I particularly found challenging, not the ones I wrote because actually I don't think I wrote any of them. Uh, that's why they were good. But the small group questions had a couple from Journey to Generosity, which was a retreat that our, our council took months ago. And one of them, uh, imagine you're saying this to God. It'll come up on the screen, or at least part of it will. You're saying this to God. God, instead of asking, why should I give this away? Do you want me to ask, why shouldn't I give this away? Should I put the burden of proof on keeping rather than giving? When money comes in, should giving rather than keeping be my default, the rule not the exception, unless there's a compelling reason to keep. 
should I normally give? And that challenges our worldview pretty significantly, doesn't it? The idea that our default position would be, why should I keep this? I should get rid of it, versus why would I, why would I not keep this? It challenges us, and, and that's a good thing for us to be challenged. And when we talk about generosity, there are a number of things that, that needs that it hits on, but I want to talk about two basic needs that I think it hits, one of which becomes our, our default position, and it's not bad, but we, we end up tilting towards that in, in all ways. And that is that generosity, in its basic form, and we saw this in 2 Corinthians both 8 and 9 last week as we looked at that, generosity fills a scarcity gap. Somebody's missing something, and we give, and that fills the gap. There is a lack there, and that's a good thing about generosity. When we're generous with something, we give it away because there isn't something. We're filling it, filling the space. But if we advance that a little bit more, and, and we're talking about keeping and giving and that sort of thing, generosity can actually do something else beyond simply filling a scarcity need in another human's life a positive thing and a major part about being generous, by the way. The Apostle Paul says that. You find that argued in the Old Testament. Part of the reason that we would give is because somebody doesn't have. We need to help. That's important. But if you continue to advance that, generosity can also move us closer to the very heart of God. It can also advance us in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because we are generous, our heart begins to beat with the very heart of the one who is generous. But it's easy, even with that relationship that we have with God, to think in the world of scarcity, on God's part even. And so as we discussed this question of default position and that sort of thing in our small group last week, one, one uh, question that came up that I had written down when I did this journey to generosity was this, do I believe that God lacks something that I can give? Isn't that an interesting thought? that we give because there's scarcity, but do I give because I think God can't do it? Because God can't fulfill somehow? Because God's too busy somewhere else, so I'm going to do it. Does God lack something? It gets back to that first sense and that need. And so let's, let's remind ourselves about some things where we've come from. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. That'll be on the screen. We're going to actually hit three scriptures this morning. Uh, hang with me. We're evangelicals. We can do it. First uh, Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Paul writes to us, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And let's begin by making this point then. Your generosity is a commentary on your hope. It's not simply filling a scarcity need, but it's making a commentary about where your hope is. That's what it's telling us. And as we look at this, as you look at challenging questions about generosity, anytime we face scripture, we have to recognize that this is going to challenge our worldview. And it should. And so we should sit here, okay, thinking, okay, God, as I open your word, how are you going to challenge me to be more like you? How am I going to grow into the image of Christ because I've opened this thing 
and been challenged to be more generous today because of how you've been generous to be to me. So look back at verse 17, and let's recognize, command those who are rich in this present age. Brothers and sisters, we are rich. Compare us to the rest of the world, we are rich even if you think you're poor. We're rich. This is written to us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Why does Paul need to say this? Because we're putting our hope in something else. Because that's the constant temptation, to to put our hope in other things besides God. He says, don't put your hope there. And, And the thing about it is, Uh, We work hard to teach our kids to share, right? But we don't always remember that when we get older. My wife was pointing this out to me this week because I earned it. I don't want to share it. I earned it. The kids didn't earn it. We gave it to them. But I earned it, so I don't want to share it. That's hard when we hear that kind of thing. And sometimes we put our hope in those things because we put so much time and effort into getting it, and we don't even realize it. And besides that, Paul says, uh, not just to not put your hope in it, but he said, but God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And sometimes I think it's hard for us to believe that. I think it's hard for us to believe God gave us what we have for our enjoyment. No, doesn't God just want to take it away from me? But God has given us the things that we have so that we would actually enjoy. God created so that we would enjoy. God wants to even enjoy our presence. And our generosity becomes a commentary on our hope, where our hope is, who our hope is in, or what it's in. And verse 19 then goes on, in this way you're going to lay up, if you do these, be generous, be willing to share. In this way you'll lay up for yourselves treasures as a firm foundation in the coming age so you can take hold of the life that is truly life. We want to put our hope in God, but it's so easy to kind of put our hope in two places in God and a bunch of things that we have here, in God and the the investments and the savings that we have here. And it's easy to treat our relationship with God and the generosity that we would give towards God based on that, that we've got our hope in two places and, and have a scarcity gap when it comes to God and our relationship with God, making a lot of if then statements with God about what we'll do, about how we'll act in that hope that we have. Bargaining about our generosity. So we'll say something like, I'll be nice, I'll be generous with my attitudes and actions towards others if they're nice to me. All of a sudden we have an if-then statement. We've had a lot of conversation about, around our house about this, right, with little ones. I'll be nice, but they need to be nice to me first. God, I'll be nice, I'll be loving towards others if they're loving towards me. I'll serve if someone asks. I'll serve only if there's a need, not because God's given me the gift. I'll give God to X if you give me a better bonus, or if you give me something else, or if you give me more, then I'll give God. And we start to make if-then statements, putting our hope in two places without realizing it. We hedge our bets. We give out of our wealth. Jesus talks about that in Luke. And we're generous only because it fills a need, not because we want our heart to beat with the very heart of God, who's generous towards us. But we have to recognize with God there is no scarcity. If you go to Psalm 50, 
You can listen if you want. It won't come up on the screen. Psalm 57 through 15. We encounter this courtroom scene where God is speaking. God says, listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. You see, there's no scarcity with God. God already has all God needs. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Do I believe God lacks something I can give? God doesn't lack. But sometimes we operate out of scarcity, out of hope in two places, and it becomes a commentary on where our hope actually is. It's easy to fall into that temptation. I would suggest as well that your generosity is a commentary on your heart, how lined up it is with God's very heart. And so let's look at a, the core passage this morning, and I would encourage you to find it Matthew 25. We'll read verses 14 through 30. We'll take it in two sections. Some of you are going to have this, the parable of the bags of gold. Some of you have it as the parable of talents. Some of you might even have something totally different. Talent gets more at the original. That's a weight. But Jesus says this, and he's telling us about what the kingdom is like. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So let's orient ourselves in the story. A talent, if you have that, it was a weight. It wasn't actually a, a coins in the sense we might think of it. Uh, it's hard to do the equation from ancient currency to now, but I heard it rightly said this week. It's about 20 years wages uh, would be uh, what he's given in some of these cases, in the case of the one bag of gold, the talent. And so, um, if you imagine, we're talking, let's put it in modern terms, millions is what we're talking, like five, two, and one million, something to that effect. So this is big money. For any of us receiving that, this is not a small amount of money. And these are servants that are entrusted with this. Obviously, there's some level of trust. There's some knowledge between the two of them. He trusts them with a lot of wealth. And, and the basic point of the parable is an issue of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. The master's trusted them. Are they going to be faithful with what he's entrusted them with? Each is given in proportion to their abilities, though five, two, and one. And the implication appears to be, if you continue to read on, which we will in a moment, that they had a clue what they should probably do. They, they had a clue that, that just burying it probably wasn't the best option. The third servant, in fact, kind of gives us that clue in how he operates. They knew that this is a master who wants increase, who wants profit in some way. And, and, and the mere fact that two of them do what would please the master and one of them doesn't really seems to 
reinforce that case, that they must have had some idea. We don't want to speculate too much, but that seems to be the implication behind this. And, and it's faithfulness, but it's also increase with what they've been entrusted. You see, it's not safety that's actually accredited as good. In fact, that's not good in this case, pure safety. So let's read the rest of it. Very familiar probably to a lot of us. After a long time, starting at verse 19, the master of those servants returned and settled his accounts with them. Now, first of all, it doesn't tell us how long he was going to be gone. It just says, after a long time. He comes back. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the five other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He does it with the next one. Two bags, two bags more. He says, well done. Come and share your master's happiness. You go down to verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. Not a totally uncommon practice in the day. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, and this is surprising, isn't it? You wicked, lazy servant. Wouldn't we have expected, good job, you kept the, the investment exactly level like I asked. No, he says, you wicked, lazy servant. Everybody would have been shocked in Jesus' day too. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has the ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The commentator William Barclay points out that the scribes and Pharisees are probably who Jesus had in mind when he talks about the third servant. People who had been given this tremendous gift of the law. They're supposed to follow the law, not to the letter that they did, where they built law upon law upon law to follow the law to make sure they didn't ever break the law, but the intent of the law, to be faithful to God, to walk in communion with God. And instead of that, they've been given this, this trust, this bag of gold, this talent, and they squander it. They bury it. They say, we're going to do right. I don't care about you. We're going to do right. But it's so right, it's wrong, as it turns out. They're not, they've lost the intent, the right motivation. Brothers and sisters, God has given us gifts. God has given all of us gifts, and God has given us a task to live in the kingdom, to share the good news of that kingdom, to bring others into that kingdom. That's our task. That's our job. And it's easy for us to fall back and say, God, you've given me these gifts, but I can't. I can't because I don't have the time, I have too much debt, others will do it instead of me, I don't need to, or just plain, I have no gifts, I don't recognize them. All kinds of reasons we can give to God where it's like we're burying the gifts if we're not careful. We're putting our hope somewhere else if our heart isn't aligned. But I gotta tell you, we have gifts whether we realize it or not. I have three kids. They're gifts from God. And I have to recognize that. They are gifts, and I'm a steward of those gifts to raise them to love Jesus Christ and his church. I've been given those gifts. You and I have jobs. 
We've been given a gift where we are witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ, or we should be, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. If we follow Jesus, we're witnesses wherever we go. We've been given gifts. We have stuff. Boy, do we have stuff. I have stuff. Way too much. Do you want it? I have way too much stuff. And we're getting rid of it. We've been given a lot of gifts and things that can be employed for kingdom purposes. We need to make a plan to make sure that we, in fact, use those gifts. We need to put in the effort to make sure we use those gifts on a regular, ongoing basis and make sure that we're not the limiting factor on what God is going to do in this world. That we're not putting scarcity on God's part when it's actually on our part. I, in my first church, I was the limiting factor all too often when I was doing youth ministry. God had given me the gift of youth and the gift of some excitement to do it. I remember planning youth events uh, and, and nobody would show up at one and I'd get frustrated. Well, what are you doing, God? So I wouldn't put in much effort at the next one if six people would show up. Oh, come on, God. <laughs> so I'd plan for the next one. And what would happen? Nobody would show up. Come on, God. What's going on here? And then I'd plan the next one. I remember one of them. I, I, I didn't plan very hard for it. I thought, nobody will show up to this thing. Not only did I get like eight, I got an atheist, for goodness sakes. What a great opportunity. And I had a miserable plan. A miserable plan. I was the limiting factor, not really putting my trust in what God was going to do. Believing that there's scarcity in, in God when really the scarcity was in myself. And we can too easily do that when we kind of put our hope in two places. Do I believe God lacks something that I can give? No, God doesn't lack. We need to align our heart with the very heart of the one who's generous with us. If you ever go to a display and look at ancient coins, uh, you go to a museum and you see ancient Roman coins, for instance. Do you know why we have those? In many cases, because they were buried in the ground. That's why we have them. They weren't being used. That was the safety mechanism, right? When Jesus tells the, the, the third servant, or when the master tells the third servant to put him on hold at the banker, just so we know, that was a risky endeavor in the ancient world. This was not the days of modern banking uh, insured by the FDIC, right? This is, you put it in there, and they could be charging massive interest, and you might not get your return back. That's ancient banking for you. So burying it in the ground for a lot of people was the safe option to keep it away from people who would get it. You wouldn't put it in the bank. Buried gifts. It's easy to do. I remember talking to a guy a number of years ago who was in his 40s. He said, I've been reading the books for years. I've been going to church my entire life. I've been reading the Bible faithfully every day. I'm just not ready to share with people. I'm not ready to do it yet. We bury the gifts. And, and I will say, evangelism is not my gift. It's hard. We bury the gifts, though, that we've been given. We can also have underused gifts, though, without even realizing it, where we haven't really analyzed what God's given us in a while. So some of us come to faith 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and we had incredible zeal and made a lot of changes in our worldview and our life, but in the last few years, we haven't really been as engaged. That can easily happen, not because we're purposefully doing that, but just we made the changes, and now we're not. And so when it comes to generosity, to make the, the connection back to that, we talked about these three Ps of generosity over the last few weeks. We talked about percentage giving, priority giving, and progressive giving. And when it comes to that third one, 
That's the one where, where we can get caught up just like we haven't analyzed what's been going on in our lives for a long time, maybe with Christ. We kind of just go through the motions. We can do that with, with generosity as well. So let's just talk about those three one more time and, and kind of round this out. And I want to point out this, this final point. A generous person, a generous person is able to truly enjoy God and God's gifts to us. They're truly able to see the scarcity that needs to be filled, but also recognize that we have a scarcity and a need to draw closer to the one who's generous. And they, they enjoy both what God has given us and what God has given us, that presence and that relationship. They're truly able to figure it out and discern because they're aligning their heart with God continually, moving in that direction. And so when it comes to our generosity, let's bring it down to practical uh, sense for just a moment. Uh, it's, it's still amazing to me that a lot of us have never crunched the numbers in our own lives when it comes to what we give, whether it might be time, but let's just talk money because that's the most tangible, simple thing to look at. Um, and I'm not talking simply about church giving, any giving that you do, generosity, that we sometimes haven't crunched the numbers at all to see what would 10% or 10, 25% or 5% or whatever it is that you've set as your goal look like, actually, if we gave it. So we give, and you can reverse it and say, okay, what percentage of what I gave was that? But we need to have a plan, I think, to recognize the generosity that we've been given through God. Crunch the numbers. Secondly, we need to make sure our heart's in the game as we do that. We talked about the principle of first fruits, uh, of the idea of priority giving, of good, putting God first. Part of that is finding our contentment under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Contentment must meet lordship and not find itself in the things of this world, but in what we're offered through Jesus Christ. And so when we get to that point of priority of the first fruits and, and even putting that together with percentage giving to whatever it might be, we have to ask important questions of ourselves like, what do I really need in this life? Sometimes we, we think we need things that are wants. What do I really need in this life? More importantly, what is God asking of me? in this life. If I follow Jesus Christ, what is God asking me to give, not just financially, anywhere? Time, energy, investment in others. When was the last time I was truly challenged to rethink my relationship with Jesus Christ to make sure I am walking as closely as I can in all ways, in all areas? And if you put it back to the money question, who rules my budget? We're talking contentment means lordship. Is it the economy or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's go back to cell phones for a moment. I've, I've been dealing with a contentment issue in my own life. I get tech envy every so often. I want stuff. I'll admit it. My hope, I hedge my bets. I put hope in two different places. It happens to us all. And so I've got a three-year-old iPhone, right? This is a terrible thing, I'm told to have something so old, right? And it's starting to slow down. And so I started to look, okay, what would it cost to upgrade? Now I'm cheap, so I look at that and I say, ouch, I don't wanna do that. It's not wildly expensive, but it's more expensive than I wanna pay. But I started looking a lot, a lot, way too much, putting too much time and looking at it. What if I did it this way? What if I did it that way? What if I did, but wait a minute. The thing still makes phone calls. That's what a phone's supposed to do. The thing still sends text messages. I can still see my schedule, which is a pretty important detail for me, and I can still check my email. I'm good to go. I'm okay. So I said, I'm going to set myself. If it, if it starts to fail, I won't check until that moment, or I won't check until you know, months down the line. I can look once again 
If the deals are better, maybe. But I'm not going to put my contentment in that. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. It'll still work. Our contentment must meet lordship. The lordship of Jesus Christ is where our contentment is. And lastly, I would say this. This is the point that, that we were really bringing it down to, but as you can tell, it took me a long time to get there. Don't live in the past with your giving and your generosity. Faith forward. Think about what God is calling you to, not where God called you, simply. To faith forward your giving and look at what's coming up. When we had our Hope Sunday here at church a couple months ago, we had Brother Flory come in from Congo. He was a sponsor kid, now living in the Chicago area. A tremendous, fun Sunday, wasn't it? Flory was great. And uh, we, as a family, had been, you know, we sponsor through Compassion, and we give to other organizations and to the church and, and a number of things. We've, we've charted it out. We've, we've tried to be very intentional about our giving and continue to progressively give more. But I thought we had reached the point where, okay, I don't think at this stage we can progressively give any more. We'll have to reanalyze in the near future. Um, and Stephanie, we both had been talking about sponsoring for Covenant Kids Congo, bringing in another sponsor child, but it just didn't seem like the time was right. Then Flory was talking to us as a congregation, and he talked in the other room about, especially about supporting women. He said, if you want to change Congo, support the women of Congo. They will change the country positively, right? They will bring Christ everywhere if you just support the women. And Stephanie heard stories from Flory about women who had four, five, six kids, single women, single mothers, and they're going to the market to raise money to take care of their children, and they come home and they still don't have enough, which is why we need to sponsor their children. And Stephanie said, why can't I just do that? These women can do that. Why can't I just do that? We're going to sponsor a child, and I'm going to sell stuff we don't need anymore, and we're going to sponsor a child that way, just like these women do. And for goodness sakes, it's been a couple months since it's working. And not only that, See, I was the one who was kind of the fuddy-duddy on this. Not only that, she faith-forwarded us on this, but I ended up selling something that brought in two months' worth. It's $40 a month, right, to sponsor a child through Covenant Kids Congo. I sold something that brought in two months' worth. Then I had jury duty for a day, which brought in $40, as it turns out. Then I overpaid for a bill, which brought in just a little over $40. This is all on the path of two months. We have a jar where we just put all this money so we can keep paying for our sponsor child, God continues to bless us as we plan to bless. As we faith forward, we see this. You've been given much. All of a sudden, those first and the second servants, isn't it powerful that God takes them from servants, or the master takes them from servants to friends, to co-laborers, and says, you've been given much, much is going to be given to you. Not so it's a, for our personal gain, but so we bless others along the way. And God does that. Do the math, know your heart, faith forward, you're giving. Make sure that your heart is lined up with the heart of the master. Enjoy God. Enjoy God's gifts to you and be a blessing with him. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are faithful and faithful and faithful. And even though the circumstances of life might seem out of hand at times, we know that you're in the midst of them. Don't let us be deceived by what our wants are, thinking their needs. Don't let us be deceived in thinking that uh, if we give, that you won't, in fact, come alongside of us. Not that we would get rich, but that you would take care of us.
That as you have been generous, so we should be generous in our attitude and our action, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether it's relationships, that as we do that, you bring us closer to you and to your very heart. And you say, well done. Let's keep doing this. God, thank you for your love in that way and your generosity shown to us. Help us be faithful as we're generous towards one another, this body of believers, as we're generous towards those at school and at work, in our own homes even, God. Let us be charitable in all of our ways and loving in all of our ways as you are loving towards us. We pray this in your name. Amen.